0: Thank you so much. It's just so good to just be in the middle of a gospel party, isn't it? <laughs> it's really good to be in the middle of a gospel party. You know, I love times like this. You get so rallied up for for Jesus and and singing together, singing to the King of Kings. So many good things that go on in your heart. I don't know if you up here on this front row. We were having a dance and worship party. It was awesome. I love singing with my sisters and just enjoying that. And I hope that you are too, and just feeling and sensing the Lord's presence. Now. Not to throw a damper on that or anything, but in about an hour, we're going to all go out of here. And we've got all kinds of things going on this afternoon. And I don't want your mind to really go there, but I know that there's things that we're all going to have to do. You might have to go grocery shopping, okay? You might have to go to work. I know uh, at the last VBS, my daughter, who's also here down on the front row, she had to go off to work. And, you know, we just got things going on in the afternoon, don't we? You might have to mop the floor, Or you might be like me, and if you mop the floor on Saturday, you might say, oh, it can wait till next Saturday. But you do that enough Saturdays, and then everybody's going, Mom, when are you going to mop the floor? (laughs) But, you know, we've just got stuff that's going on, right? Things that we've got to get done in our lives. And I, I know that we all have those things going on. And some of us might have, like, capital stuff going on. I mean, those little things that I just mentioned, they're just everyday stuff. But some of us might have some real, real stuff going on in our lives, and so coming into a place like this is kind of just this little haven to get away and and let God minister to us. And it's been good to just be in the middle of a gospel party and let the gospel shine into us. And you know, really knowing the gospel should make a difference in how we deal with all that stuff, how we respond to it, because the gospel was given to us Not only to light up our own lives, but that it might also shine out of us in God-glorifying ways. The light in us drawing other people to God. Just like that little girl in the video. She went up and she shined the light. She gave people a picture of who God made them to be. I want to read you something in the book of Matthew if you want to turn there. We've been singing about it all weekend. In Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, it says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in us in heaven. Ladies, God's work of the gospel in your life is really the answer to the question that might be rumbling in your life of genuine. Because, see, the gospel is God putting the light in you through faith and love, like we've been talking about, and then it's about him empowering you to shine that light out of you. That's genuine Christianity. The light's in you, and then the light shines out of you. And God does this work. Remember we said, for I am confident, he said, for I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, or we can say in me, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And that doesn't happen overnight, does it? It's a continual working of God in our lives. I've told you about some of my story this weekend, and I'm 46 years old now. God's still working in me. Hopefully in another 10 years, there's going to be another picture to put up in there that God's still working, or maybe he will have already called me home, and you know what? I'm ready. That's great. I'd love to go. Sometimes my light is really shining. Uh, You know, sometimes it is. I just put it on the lampstand. I love these columns that we have in here. You know, that God, God shines his light through us in all different ways and colors and beauty. He puts a light in us, and then it just shines out of us just like on these columns, and sometimes my light is really on the lampstand but then some stuff happens, you know? And the question is, what do I do with this light in me when the stuff happens? You know, stuff can be big stuff going on in your life, or it can be little stuff. It can be really good stuff going on, or it can be bad stuff going on. It can be something that happens to us, or it can be something that we do to ourselves. Stuff can be sin that you've been dealing with for as long as you can remember. Or it can be this temptation that just comes out of nowhere. Basically, stuff is the fallout that we live in because we live in a fallen world. And I don't know what your stuff is, and I know what my stuff is. You probably don't know what my stuff is, and really it doesn't matter. (laughs) I mean, my stuff has kind of been capital stuff this year. But here's the thing. We all got stuff, right? (laughs) We've all got stuff. I'll think my stuff so bad, and then I start talking to somebody else, and I think, Wow, they, they really got stuff. You know, if there was a bigger letter than a capital, they would have, like, even more than me going on. And, and we all got stuff. In Matthew, in, in right where we just read here, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus called them the light of the world. You know what? He had been preaching about stuff. We call this the Beatitudes. And basically, Jesus talks about being, like, poor or hungry or persecuted or in strife all these different things and you know what he tells them he just keeps saying over and over again you'll just be blessed you'll be so blessed if you live with a godly attitude in the middle of that stuff and you know the only reason you or i will ever be able to live with a godly attitude in the middle of the stuff is because we are the light of the world because we have this light within us but here's what happens Often, our very self-focused response to the stuff is like a basket or a bowl that we put right over top of the light so that it can't shine out. And Jesus is saying here in this passage, hey, why don't you be genuine to who I made you to be when I put that light within you and put your light on a lampstand in stuff? Because it's, it, it's brighter than any of your stuff. See, the way that you and I respond to life and its stuff big little capital lowercase whatever it is the way we respond is either going to be the bowl that covers up the light or it's going to be the lampstand that shines to give that place a a light to shine the gospel tells us ladies that we actually have power we're going to talk about power right now power in christ to be able to put this light on the lampstand so we're going to talk about that by looking at another passage that Paul wrote that's infused with the gospel. This time it's actually from the book of Colossians. So if you had already turned to Galatians, I tricked you. Um, Paul actually writes about the gospel all over the New Testament. And we're going to go to Colossians 1, and I'm going to start in verse 9. It says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it. What is it? It is them hearing the gospel. It is them learning the gospel and and Paul hearing about them receiving the gospel. And so what does Paul do since he hears that they receive the gospel? He prays. He says, we've not ceased to pray for you. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. See, Paul wants them to get it. He wants them to have a full understanding of what God is doing here in this mystery of the gospel. And there's a purpose that he wants them to have that understanding. In verse 10 he says, So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, to bear fruit in every good work, and increase in the knowledge of God. See, Paul wants them to shine this out of their lives, that all these wonderful things would happen because they have this amazing understanding and grasp of the gospel that's been put within them. And then he says this, though, in verse 11, because, see, he knows it's not going to just happen because people are people, and people have stuff, and people get very focused on their stuff. And so he says in verse 11, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Paul's praying for them to have power because he knows we can't do it on our own. We will not shine this light on our own. And and the idea here is that we would have every ounce of power that we need to be able to shine this light out of us. Over in the book of Ephesians, Paul actually talks about how the power that we have within us, that God has given us, is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Ladies, it doesn't get any more powerful than that. And so Paul is praying that that's what we would experience, that's what we would know. And he says then, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father. That's what we need the power for, so that we will be steadfast so that we'll be patient, so that we'll be joyful and thankful. See, these are godly attitudes in the midst of just living life. But we're not going to be able to just do that on our own. So Paul's praying for power that we'd be able to do it. And you know what? It's a privilege and a blessing to be able to live that way. Keep reading with me. He said, giving thanks to the Father, verse 12, who has qualified us or privileged us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. You know, the Olympics started last night. They had the opening ceremonies. And if if you were here for VBS, I, I didn't get to see any of that either. But you know what? I've been watching a lot of these qualification trials. And, I mean, these people are moving and working so, so hard, you know, to get there. Just like we talked about in the last session, it doesn't have anything to do with us purposing or trying really hard to qualify to live in the kingdom of light. No, God did that for us. He qualified us on his own merit, on his work on the cross. We've been qualified to live where? In the kingdom of light. We don't have to live in that evil age anymore. We get to live in the kingdom of light, and it's a privilege from God. I love the way the Living Bible says it. It says, he's made us fit to share all the wonderful things that belong to those who live in the kingdom of light. You know what? That's God's grace to us, ladies, because none of us deserve to be able to live in the kingdom of light. But we're privileged and qualified by the gospel, the good work of Jesus. Now, let's keep reading and see what happened and where this power comes from. Verse 13 says, For he delivered us, from the domain of darkness, and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Back in the book book of Galatians, he called it the evil age. Now he's calling it the domain of darkness. And it says he delivered us, or he rescued us out of it, and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, which is the kingdom of light. Okay, and so then in verse 14, it says, in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sin. Right there is a little nugget of the gospel. It's it's a condensed version of the gospel. He took us from something and he took us to something. And now Paul's going to tell us who this is all about. He's going to talk about our Jesus. Listen to these verses. Verse 15, and he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, All things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself. Having made peace through the blood of His cross, through Him I say, whether things on earth or things in the heavens. Wow. Do you see who it is that lights up your life? Who it is that qualifies you? Who it is that rescues you? Who it is that puts this light of the gospel in your life? He's the only exalted God who is first in everything. And ladies, everything about life is about him. See, not only is the gospel about Jesus. See, a lot of people are okay with the gospel being about Jesus. But you know what? Your life is about Jesus. My life is about Jesus. So why in the world would I cover up his life with mine? Why do we do that? How much better to exalt him? How much better to lift him up and live in that kind of power? See, the power for living genuine Christian lives is in making much of Jesus, exalting him. Now, we say that, and I really believe we intend to mean that and live that, but here's what happens. We get way too caught up in ourselves, way too caught up in our stuff, our, our good stuff, our bad stuff. And you know what happens? We do not exalt him. We end up putting a bowl over his light or a basket over it, and we end up exalting ourselves. What do I mean by that? Let me tell you something that happened to me a few months ago, and, and this is just a lesson that God has been just continuing to, continuing to teach me. He's such a good teacher. I was out for my morning run, and that's also my prayer time. So I'm out, and, and I've learned over the last few years you know, how good it is to not just jump in and start telling God all my stuff. But you know what? That morning I had a lot of stuff I was going to talk to him about. So I was just kind of going through the motions of exalting him. I'm I'm out there running, and I'm like, oh, God, I I love you. God, I lift you up this morning. I exalt you. And you got to know, when I run, I go really, really slow. So it's more like, oh, God, I love you, (laughs) because I'm not a very fast runner. But so I'm out there, and I'm doing this, God, I love you, I exalt you, I lift you up. You know, just these phrases. And all of a sudden, and this doesn't happen to me all the time, But the Holy Spirit just kind of spoke right into my mind. Very clearly, he said, do you think you can exalt God? I mean, it was so clear that I almost stopped, which wouldn't take much, because like I said, I go pretty slow. (laughs) But I I didn't know what to do with that. So I just kind of started back in and thought, that's weird, you know, and just, oh God, I exalt you. Do you think you can exalt God? And the question just wouldn't go away. And as the conversation bore out and, and worked out with the Holy Spirit, here's what he was saying to me. Sharon, you can't exalt God. He already is exalted. It doesn't matter if you say some words about him every morning in your prayer time. He is exalted. He is the Lord over all the earth. Oh, it's great for you to exalt him, but don't think you can lift him up. He holds the world in his hands, and you think you can lift him up? I got a real dose of humility that morning and realized who he is here's the question then that the Holy Spirit presented me with. The question is, are you going to exalt him in your life? Because that's what exalting Jesus is really about. Are you going to put him above your stuff? Because the only way that you can exalt God, he already is exalted, but Sharon, the only way you can exalt him is if you'll put him on top of your stuff. See, I already had all this stuff that was already at the surface of my life that day. It was really on the top of my life. My mind was focused on it. My heart was focused on it. I was worried about it. I was afraid in it. All this stuff going on in my life and it was exalted. He was not. But I was just saying, oh God, I exalt you. Didn't mean anything. He already is exalted. God was saying, are you going to exalt me? You know what? God's a good teacher. Not too long after that, having a conversation with my assistant. Her name is Kelly. Some of you may have met her out there. And she just does a great work with all the different things that she handles and so appreciative of her. And she's had a really rough couple of years with some illness. And you know, if you've ever been through any kind of long-term illness thing, I mean, that just wears on you, right? Not just the illness itself. It gets in your heart, your emotions, your spiritual, all kinds of things. And so we were having this conversation. She didn't know about the conversation I had had that morning with the Holy Spirit, and, and she said, you know, I know the truth. I'm just trying to put the truth on top of my feelings. And again, it was that same lesson of what are you going to exalt, Sharon? See, when you read a passage like Colossians, puts everything into perspective. Jesus is exalted. He just is. But we all have a choice of how we're going to live. Are we going to live through his power and live genuine to who we are, exalting Christ, exalting his rightful, genuine position? Or are we going to continue to live out our days in the domain of self-focused darkness, even though we know the gospel? So let's explore that a little bit. We're going to come back to this passage in Galatians, but we're going to turn over to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to look at some things about Moses. Earlier this year, I heard some teaching from a lady named Jen Wilkin and uh, she was just talking through some of this stuff with Moses and some things just really awakened in me and so I want us to spend a little bit of time looking at this. Exodus chapter 3 is the story of Moses in the burning bush and some of you are probably familiar with that. You probably know that Moses grew up as a Hebrew, but instead of being a slave in Egypt like all the other Hebrews, he grew up in the Egyptian palace. But as an adult, he ended up fleeing Egypt and going out into the wilderness, basically where he became a shepherd. And he had all kinds of stuff going on in his life. And we find him here as God begins to reveal himself, coming near to Moses and begins to minister to him. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now Horeb is Mount Sinai. Interchangeable names, okay? The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire. Yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burned up. See, God was getting his attention drawing near. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He also said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Moses was like, wowed. God got his attention and God began to speak to him and in the next few verses God tells Moses about these amazing plans that he's got to rescue all these Hebrews from Egypt and take them to the promised land. Now just so you don't miss it, right here in the Old Testament way back then is a picture of the gospel. God's going to get his children out of slavery, the slavery to sin, and he's going to take them to the promised land which is abundant life. So already right there, it's right there in the Old Testament. And God begins to speak to Abraham, uh, not to Abraham, to Moses about what he's doing. And he says, let let me summarize for you what he says. He says, I am the God of your fathers. I have seen the affliction of my people. I have given heed to their cry. I am aware of their sufferings. I've come down to deliver. And then he says in verse 10, Come, Moses, and I'm going to send you. So who's the subject of all this going on? It's God. God's got a plan, and God's going to execute his plan. But how does Moses respond? Look in verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Notice that Moses has turned aside from looking at this wow of God. And put all the attention back on himself. See, all of a sudden, more stuff was happening in his life. God wanted him to go where? To Egypt? I don't think so, God. I don't want to go there. I don't want any part of that. But how does God respond? Look at verse 12. God said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Notice the emphasis God is placing upon what he is going to do, how he's going to work his plan. But now Moses answers, and what does Moses do? He shifts the focus again. And you know what? It's kind of like a wrestling match. What's the point of a wrestling match to see who's going to end up where? On top, right? Well, look at what Moses says in verse 13. Moses says to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I'm going to say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Who's got Moses' focus again? Himself. All the focus is turned to himself. It's this wrestling match of who's going to be on top. Well, God's getting ready to win it right here in verse 14, okay? God says to Moses, I am who I am. Pinned him, okay? He said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Can't you hear the authority of God here? But why did he say, I am? I mean, in some ways, you would think he might have said, the Lord of hosts is going to send you, or, you know, some, some great, powerful, but, but I am? What, is that, what does that even mean? Let's think about that. If I were to ask you, who made you, you would say, God. Okay, are you out there? You would say, God. God. Okay, now, but if I asked you, Who made God, what would you say? Nobody, right? No one. God is uncreated. He creates everything, but he's uncreated. Now, sometimes this kind of thinking really kind of hurts my brain. I'm just telling you, okay? But we we need to follow it through here, all right? Think about this. If we made a list of everything that was created, seen and unseen, and we gave everybody some paper, we'd run out of room, We'd be here for days, because you can't even list everything that's seen and unseen seen that is created. But what if you made a list of everything that's uncreated? There'd be one thing on the list. It would be God, right? Because God is uncreated, yet He creates everything. And what if I asked you this, who sustains you? In other words, who keeps your life together and going minute by minute? What would you answer? God. It's not Starbucks, okay? Some of us think it is, but it's not. It's not coffee, okay? But if we asked, who sustains God? We would have to say, no one, right? Because God is self sustaining. He doesn't need us, He doesn't need anything outside of Himself to be who He is. He's always existed. He needs for nothing, He just is. That's exactly what Colossians told us when we read it. It's exactly what God is saying right here. And it's exactly what Jesus said about himself. Jesus said, I am. Do you know why Jesus said that? Because Jesus is God. So when we consider us and our stuff alongside the great I am, there's a big difference, right? I mean, absolutely big difference. Only God, only God can say, I am. And you know what? The more Moses got to know God, just read a few chapters later, and you know what Moses says? He says, who is like you, O God? And you know what? The answer is no one. But back to the earliest pages of the Bible, and you walk your way through history, you'll see that man continually comes up with a different response. Man's believed a lie. That he can be like God. And so therefore, man tries to exalt himself. And man answers with a different answer. He says, I am. See, that's the sin of humanity. And we're all enslaved to this dark, self-existed living. But Paul continually calls us in the gospel that Jesus has gotten us out of that kind of living. That is the evil age. That's the domain of darkness. Go back to Colossians chapter 1. Verse 13, what does he call it there? He says it's the domain of darkness, and Jesus delivered us out of it, delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, which is a kingdom of light. See, ladies... We don't have to live in that darkness. The good news of the gospel is that you and I have been rescued out of that self-focused living that puts a bowl over the light within us. We've been given the power within us to let the true light shine, to put it on a lampstand. We don't have to live in the darkness, but here's the thing. We often still do, even though we know the gospel. What is the lie that we believe in all of that? Do you remember why Satan fell from his position as an angel of light? What did Satan say? He said, I'm going to ascend to the, um, to the high, to the heavens, and I'm going to become like the most high God. I am going to do this, Satan said. And then what did Satan say in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve? He said, God knows that in the day you eat of it, you're going to become like God. You'll know good from evil. And so Satan and man, And the grasping to make more of themselves constantly answers the question, Who is like you, O God, by saying, I am. I am. That's what sin looks like, ladies, in any form that you've ever found it. It's when I say my will is more important than God, so I'm going to place it above His. My thoughts are more important than God, so I'm going to place it above His. My feelings are more important than what God feels, so I'm going to place it above His. Who is the decision maker in my life? I am. Who's the supplier of my needs? I am. Who's the source of my strength? I am. Who's the center of my attention? I am. I make my choices. I determine the best outcome. I act as the leader of my life. I am. I am. I am. Self-exaltation. It's the oldest form of idolatry known to man. And it's a common problem that affects all of us. And it shows up in so many ways. We minimize God and we exalt ourselves. It starts in our thinking. It works its way into our decisions, into our lifestyles, our relationships, our worship, everything. But here's the truth of the gospel. Because of God's grace, we've been rescued from that kind of living. And remember what is grace. We talked about it last night. It's getting a blessing that I don't deserve. We don't deserve the power to live over here in the kingdom of light and shine the light. But God knows that power will come as we exalt him because that's what we were originally wired to do. That's what we were made for, to exalt him. God knows you're going to have the most joy, you're going to have the most peace, you're going to have the most satisfaction in your life when you exalt him. So in his grace, he continually calls us and positions us to exalt him. It's not an egotistical thing for God at all. Not at all. Remember when God told Moses, you think about how, how can I make sure then You know that, that I'm exalting God? Well, remember when God told Moses this. He said, take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground. You know what? What did he mean by that? And how does that answer this question of how do we make sure that our lives are really making much of Jesus and aren't just about us? Because here's the thing, ladies. You can deceive yourself into thinking that you're making much about Jesus and you're really not. See, that morning when I went on my run, I thought I'm making much of Jesus. I exalt you. But I wasn't. I was all about myself that day all about myself all about my stuff going on I was just saying out some stuff it wasn't genuine at all just doing the act and we can all get caught up in that so how do we make sure that we really are genuinely making much of Jesus there's a lot of thoughts on that a lot of thoughts on this whole idea of take off your shoes Moses because you're standing on holy ground but but as I just kept seeking the Lord because none of them settled in my heart things I read or listened to I said, Lord, what are you trying to say there to us? And here's what he just deposited in my spirit, or as Pastor Courtney would say, he downloaded and installed in me. Okay? I loved that last night. You know, as people, we're always on the move, aren't we? Always making plans, figuring things out, got a list, got an agenda. We rarely stop. I mean, really, really stop to humble ourselves and really look at God. You think about for Moses. I mean, he needed shoes on out there in the wilderness, right? If he was going to take them off, they didn't have like Velcro closures, okay? I mean, you got to tie the things and all that kind of stuff. He was going to take off his shoes. He was going to have to stay a while, right? He was going to have to sit down and really look at God. And I think the idea here is to be intentional and really look at the great I am take off your shoes, settle down, settle your heart, give a good, intentional look at God, not just run by Him on a Sunday morning and kind of wave at Him a little bit, but no, take your shoes off and really spend the time with God and look at Him. See, in this conversation with Moses, God was getting ready to do something incredible. He was getting ready to just like pour out power on Moses because we know what Moses went and did, right? I mean, the plagues that came on Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, God did all that work. God shined his glory through Moses. But see, first, Moses was going to have to humble himself, take off his shoes, and really look at the great I Am. God was going to give him a new pair of shoes to walk in, a pair of shoes that were full of power. And I believe this morning, as we've been walking through this whole idea of genuine, that God wants to unleash power in our lives too. But see, we've got to be willing to take off our sandals. You know what? God had to continually work in Moses. It didn't happen like that. Oh, sure, God, that's what I'll do, and all of a sudden he's this amazing person. God had to continually work in him. God called him to the mountain over and over again, sometimes called him up there for 40 days at a time. Can you imagine if you said to your husband or somebody in your family, hey, I'm going to Women's BBS for 40 days. I'll be back, okay? I mean, to get here for four hours is like killer to some of us, okay? We, we can't do it. I mean, he, and I'm not saying this is the only place that you can meet with God. You can meet with God in your bathroom. I mean, the the thing is that you take off your shoes. See, Moses had to go to the tent of meeting with God over and over again, go to the mountain. I wonder how many times he took off his sandals and he humbled himself and stopped and really let God minister to him who he was. Here's the thing about Moses. It was said of him that many times he would come out of, of meeting with God and his face would literally shine with the light of God's glory. And see, we say, oh, i love that. I want my face to shine with God's glory. Well, I would say, are you willing to take off your sandals and really look at God, really exalt him above yourself? What, what does that really look like, though? I mean, what does it look like to exalt him above yourself, to put his light on the lampstand? Let's just think through a few things here. What about in how we read the Bible? Think about how many of us typically approach reading the Bible. We might pick it up in the morning. And we say, oh, this morning I feel kind of hopeless and sad. So you start looking up Bible verses on joy or happiness. And, and then you sit there and you wait for it to just kind of feel, yeah, you know, like joy, waiting on it, waiting on it, God. Yeah. Let me read some more until I find something that's going to make me feel good. See, that kind of Bible reading makes the Bible about me, <laughs> about how I feel. See, we often treat the Bible as if it exists to make us feel better. And we also tend to ask this question a lot when we read the Bible. How does God want me to apply this to my life today? Now, that is a great question. But if that's the only question we ever ask, it's all about us. It's still very self-centered. See, the Bible's not a book about us. You know what the Bible's about? The Bible is about God. And when we are exalting God, you're going to read your Bible differently. You're going to read it repetitively. You're going to engage in study. You're going to read it in context. You're not just going to pick out little pieces that make you feel good and throw away the ones that don't and also just leave out the ones that you have no clue what they mean. No, you're going to get in there and you're going to read it. And you're going to say, I don't know what that means. I don't have a clue what that means. But you know what? I love God and I want to know Him. And so I'm going to read it again. And I'm going to ask some questions, and I'm going to ask him because he's put the Holy Spirit within me, who is my teacher, and he can teach me. He's more than able to do that, and I'm going to memorize it, and I'm going to meditate on it, and eventually God's going to show me what this means because I want to know my God. I wonder the power we would see in our lives if our Bible reading alone became about God instead of ourselves. What about in how we pray? You know, we've been given this amazing privilege in the kingdom of light to go right into the throne room. I mean, the door is always open for us to go in and talk to the king of kings. And you would think, understanding who he is and who we are, that our conversation would be about him. But what usually happens when we pray? We monopolize the conversation. And for women, a lot of times we turn it into a big therapy session that's free, you know. (laughs) But here's the thing. It's not about us. It's about God. And you know what? A lot of times when Christians talk about prayer, they'll say this question. They'll say, you know, if God is sovereign, I mean, if he already knows everything, why why do I even need to pray anyway? He already knows what I need, right? Do you see the problem in that question? very very self-centered it reveals that the whole reason we think we're supposed to pray is so we can ask God for what we need what about confession what about thanksgiving adoration seeking to hear from God let him talk a little bit yes we should pour out our hearts to God in prayer God tells us to do that but if all God ever hears from us is words about us what does that reveal about us that we're exalting ourselves above him I've been learning a lot about this. I still have so much to learn about prayer and so much for God to work out in me. But you know what? I'm learning. I love to pray with people who exalt God during that prayer time. There's just a power that comes into that. When it's not about me and my stuff, when we lift him up, when we talk about who he is, we listen for his voice, all of these different things. We, we lift up his will. We exalt his plans. We talk about his power. We talk about his strength, his might, all these different things. It's just a totally different experience than when we just bring our stuff and just lay it on the table. God, would you just take care of that? Thank you, God. Okay, and then we go do our thing. Totally different. What does it look like when we exalt God in worship? Well, you know, worship is all about exalting God, but so subtly it can become about us, about our preference, our style, how it makes me feel. You know, music has a quality in and of itself to stir emotions. But see, we're not worshiping just to have our emotions stirred. That can happen in a movie, okay? We're worshiping to have our emotions stirred toward God. And it's so easy for us to be exalting of our preferences and miss the point. I've been through a very long journey on this. I personally have preferences. I have likes. I, I, I am a musician in some sorts of way. Not great like what you've seen up here, but I mean, I can play the piano a little bit and sing and all that. I mean, I have preferences about music, but God has brought me to this place. If I come into any corporate gathering of worshipers, and they are lifting up the name of my God in any kind of musical way, I have to join in, because it's not about me, it's about my God, and if they're doing that, I'm going to join in, because they are my sisters, they're my brothers. What are we going to do when we get to heaven, and God has invited every tribe and nation around the throne, and I stand back, and I say, I don't like drums. I don't like drums. I'm not going to I don't think so. You're going to have the God of heaven right in front of you. You're not going to step back. So don't step back now. I mean, when's the last time we really said God? What kind of music do you like? You know what? I bet he likes a lot of music. I bet he likes really loud music because he's probably got really really big ears. But you know what? <laughs> we know we know that he's got a love for the quiet heart, too. You know, I, I know he likes the new things, these new expressions of the heart of every generation that's rising up to call him blessed. But you know what? He likes those old things too. I just know he, he probably nudges the angels sometimes and says, oh, that's that one from 400 years ago. I loved it when they wrote that. Who am I? To say what exalts God. If it's about Him, if it's proclaiming truth, if it's proclaiming a heart for Him, who cares what it sounds like? Lift up the name of our God. And see, I think it's also about when the songs that we sing are not about us. I mean, it's okay to say, I love you, Lord, and it's so good to love you, and I'm glad you're in my life. I mean, all that's really, really good. I'm not saying it's not. But how much more powerful to say indescribable, uncontainable, you put the stars in the sky. You know them by name. You are amazing God. You know what, ladies? It's, it's a struggle because these things we just talked about, like Bible reading and worship and prayer, I mean, those are the things where we would go, oh, I exalt God because I read my Bible or I go to church or, you know, I, I sing when I like it. Yeah, no, leave that. But isn't it, isn't it interesting how subtly even those things can become about me? And we don't even see it until God reveals to us. But, I mean, what about all the other things in our life? Because it's not just the religious stuff that's about Jesus. Life is about Jesus. Remember, we read in Colossians. I mean, think about your choices. Your choices. We all have dreams, plans, preferences of things, you know. But the Bible tells us before the foundation of the world, God had already prepared good works in advance for us to do. So God has a plan for us, too. And see, it's great when our plans with God just mesh. But what i found is that doesn't really happen most of the time because I had a sin nature before I knew Christ, and so now he's transforming me and working in me, you know. And so it's not going to always line up like that. So here's the real test of exalting. Anybody can say, oh, God, I lift you up. The question comes down to when you have a choice and God has a choice and his choice is different than yours, which one is going to end up on top? Who's going to win the wrestling match? Is your will going to be placed above his? I mean, you could run that through any scenario of all kinds of things, whether it's God wants you to shut your mouth and not say another word? Are you going to say it and exalt yourself or are you going to put the light on the lampstand? God wants you to live in purity. Are you going to put God on the lampstand or live by your flesh and your senses? God wants you to give. Are you going to hold things and put yourself on the top, or are you going to be generous with the resources he's put in your hands? I mean, all these different things. God wants you to step out and do some kind of ministry you've never done before. Are you going to say, oh, that makes me uncomfortable, and I've never tried anything like that? Who are you exalting? But see, you're the only one who knows what God's speaking in your heart. The main thing is you want God to win the wrestling match. In fact, you don't even want to wrestle with him. Just rest. Rest in the good life that he's bringing to you. What about exalting God in our hearts? In our hearts, yes. The Bible says that our hearts are laid open and bare before God. He sees our hearts. Even if we're pretending, like Cynthia talked about last night, you're not pretending with God. He sees all of it. So what's going on in your heart? Because on the outside, we can make it look one way, but are we exalting God in the heart? Out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth is going to speak. And so that will come out eventually. You've got to know, am I exalting God in my heart and what I'm thinking about and dwelling on? I have found it is a minute-by-minute intentional choice to take off my sandals before a holy God and exalt him. Exalt his preferences, his ways, his attributes, his character above my own. Go back to Colossians 1. Let me read verse 17 for you again. It says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know what? If that's really true, and it is, whether you believe it or not, whether I believe it or not, whether we live it or not, it's true. And if it is true, and if we know that about the gospel, then why are our marriages, our work, our children, our relationships, our churches, our accomplishments, so many other things in our lives, why are they all about us? It's no wonder that God's light and glory are hidden underneath so many of these things in our lives. We exalt ourselves, and then we wonder why we can't see God's powerful love in our marriage. We exalt ourselves, and we wonder why our finances seem to lack the power of God's provision where there seems to be no light or power to overcome depression or anxiety in our lives. I personally believe that any lack of power in me to live genuine to the light of the gospel can be traced back to a place where I'm exalting myself, where my feelings, my ideas, my thoughts, my fears, my choices, all of that stuff, whatever it is in your life has been placed or my life has been placed above his. And even though I know the gospel— have known the gospel for years. My choice to exalt me covers that up. Puts a bowl over the powerful light of the gospel within me. You know, I told you God started teaching me this lesson about let me be at the top. Let me let me be exalted. Then you're going to see the power that you need in your life. God continued to teach me, and he taught me the most amazing lesson through this little girl named Gwenin. She's two and a half years old. Here's a picture of her. Her mother is actually Katie, who's been singing on our praise team. Gwenin is really a petite little thing. And back in March, when we were having Good Friday, we had had a Good Friday service at our church, and Gwenin's dad is one of the associate youth pastors at our church. And so I was standing there talking to Katie, and Gwenin was helping to put up the metal chairs, and we were in a room that had a tile floor. So you know when metal chairs fall on a tile floor, it's like crash, bang, boom, right? Okay? And so Gwenin's over there trying to help like little kids do, and all of a sudden about ten chairs fell. And so her eyes just got huge. I mean, you know, these big chairs, this big boom, and she's just this little thing. And she runs, and she jumps up in her mother's arms. And Katie looks right at her, and she says, Gwenen? What do we say when we're afraid? And Gwyneth said, God is bigger. God is bigger. And she jumped down and ran and played. And ladies, I'm telling you, God has not spoken to me so profoundly like that in years. And I am continuing to feast on that. And I've shared it with so many people. And I'm just amazed at how God is using the words of this little teeny girl to transform the way that I think. God is bigger. I should be able to put my stuff underneath the truth that I know of him and go play and do life with him in the kingdom of light. How do you let God speak into your life that he's bigger? He's bigger than your fear, your disappointments, your struggles, your preferences. How do you let God speak into your life that he's better? He's better than your momentary pleasure of sin, better than anything you can buy or sell. He's more powerful than anything you're going to face, your enemies, your emotions, your abilities, your sickness. He's wiser than anything you could ever figure out or any plan or agenda you could come up with. He's more, bigger, better, wiser, all of it. And see, that is something that God himself has to work out in your heart. And he only does it when you take your sandals off and look at him. Because it's not going to happen in a fly-by visit. It's not going to happen that way. you got to really look at God, and He begins to convince you that He's bigger, and it's so much better to exalt Him above your stuff because when you don't, you're not going to have any power to live over here in the kingdom of light, and you're going to find yourself stuck over here dealing with all the junk of this other place that you don't want to be, that you're living in right now when God has already qualified you to be over here in the kingdom of light. You know, Katie has already taught little and who cannot read, this powerful truth. And it's giving her a power in her life as a two-year-old to be able to, to go play when she's afraid. And that's not the only time she said that. Recently, there was a time in our, one of our worship services where our pastor started talking about little Gwen And I thought, oh, you're going to steal my story. But you know what? <laughs> it wasn't. God had shown him, too, because little Gwen had ended up in the hospital. I think she was needing an IV. And she was laying there, I mean, just struggling and crying and really, really afraid, with tears running down her eyes. But she was saying, God is bigger. God is bigger. And you know, when Katie, and we talked about that too, I said, can I tell the story about Gwinnon? And she said, which one are you going to tell? The one, you know, in the atrium where she said it and jumped down and played, or, or the one that, that Pastor Larry told? And, and I said, well, I was going to do the one in the atrium. And she said, well, yeah, because she really was crying and stuff when she said it back. And, and I said, but you know what, really? Isn't that more like us? <laughs> you know, that you really got to sometimes just tell yourself through the tears? God, you're bigger. And I will choose to believe that. And I will choose to put that above my stuff, my fear. The Bible tells us that the truth we find in God's Word is powerful. Powerful to tearing down of strongholds. And ladies, the biggest stronghold in your life and my life is the stronghold of self-focus. But the Bible is powerful enough to even destroy and dissolve that. When you read a passage like Colossians 1 and you still exalt yourself, well, I'm sorry, I just don't get it. Because if you really read that, and you take off your sandals, and you look at that, you cannot... You cannot digest that and then exalt yourself above God. The power of God's Word is the best way. It's the best tool you have for demolishing and allowing God to demolish that stronghold in your life of self-focus. That's why we do ministry like we do. And our main goal, it's the only goal we have as a ministry, is to promote and rally women to be in the Word. In fact, I want to give away just a few more Bible studies that we have um, there in the back just to some people who have filled out some cards, and hopefully they're still with us. Edie Thomas. Edie Thomas, yay. This, is a, this was our original Bible study that we wrote, and we've reformatted it now and put CDs in the back. It's called um, Established Footsteps, so we want you to have that, Edie. And then you can go ahead and take that to her, and I'm going to have Kelly help me with this one. Um, Audrey Duke, are you here? She's not here. Oh, poor Audrey. Okay, Beth. Beth Young. Beth Young? Yay, okay. This is another Bible study called Loving Life. It's focused on First Peter. Just a, just a very practical study on if you want to enjoy your life. In fact, it says, that passage in um, 1 Peter, it says, if you want to love life and see good days, well, this is how you need to live. So, Okay, and then Kate Van Camp. She's not here. Poor Kate. Okay, Diane Sonneborn. Yay. Okay. And this is about being face to face with God's loving kindness, transforming to know about the loving kindness of God in the Psalms. Transforming. That did such a work in my life when I studied that. Even this morning, one of the things that we talk about in that study is how peace flows like a river there. Actually, that was in the Loving Light one, I think. God just ministered to me that this morning. Because you think about it, peace flowing like a river, a river flows into every crevice every crevice, so every place where you don't have peace. God's Word is alive and powerful and it will continue to speak to us, continue to dissolve anything in our lives that doesn't line up with the truth of who He is. Maybe you remember the words of John the Baptist. He said something that we would all do well to repeat. He said, He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase. See, I put my hands up right there. That's what we tend to do. We tend to increase ourselves he must increase. I must decrease. And and there's a purpose to the order of how he said that. If you just try to decrease yourself, it's never going to work that way, (laughs) because you're never going to be convinced of why you should. You're going to think you're more important. (laughs) But when you increase him, you pale in comparison. Your stuff pales in comparison. The word gives you perspective for that, and that's why the word is so key. And specifically, the word of the gospel. Because the gospel will position you to your rightful place and put God in his rightful place. See, the gospel reminds us of who we are. Who's the one who's guilty of sin? I am. Who is the one who deserves a life in hell separated from God? I am. Who's the one who has been raised to life by a generously grace-filled God? I am. Who's the one who's gonna spend her life exalting him above herself? I am. Who's the one who's going to find my power in him and in his good news? I am. See, the gospel just positions us to where we need to be. And instead of saying, I am exalting myself above God, I say, I am, and I put myself in the place where I am, which really is in him, and he's in me. And that's the message of the gospel. Remember when I told you last night about learning that the gospel was one-directional? See, just because I knew that truth... That didn't mean that all of a sudden I could live that truth or that I totally have it all figured out. I wrestled with that. I didn't really want to do anything about that because my feelings still felt the same. I wanted to put my feelings on top, but God had to minister to me. And what I found is when I allowed his will to be above my own, a power to love began to flow through me that I didn't even know that I had a power that only exists in the kingdom of light. We have to exalt his ways, his truth above our own. The power for genuine Christian living lies in putting his will, his ways, his truth above our own. But it's not a one-time thing. You have to do it sometimes 20 times, 50 times, 100 times a day. The more you do, though, you begin to have your heart change to love the things that he loves and hates the things that he hates. So daily you pick up your Bible, you get your mind, your heart in it, you you remind yourself of who he is, you humble yourself to the great I am, and you let him do this work in you. And I'm finding the more I do that, my stuff really does just decrease and pale in comparison to the great I am. Paul had to learn this too, ladies. You know, at one time Paul said... To the Lord. He wanted him to deliver him from something, and God said no. And, and Paul called it a thorn in the flesh. It was stuff, okay? And here's what God, God's response to him. God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power will be perfected in your weakness. See, as crazy as that sounds, God allowed whatever this struggle was in Paul's life so that Paul would have to look at God. Have you ever had a situation where there was nowhere else to look? So you had to look at God. Do you know that that is God's grace to you? That's God's grace to you. So you will look up so that you can see his power because you would never see who he is. You would probably never stop and take off your sandals if you didn't have to look at God. I know I wouldn't sometimes. So in his grace, he does that work in us. Some think that makes God sound egotistical. I mentioned that earlier, but it's not. He's not egotistical because what is grace? Grace is getting blessings that we don't deserve. If I was God, I would say, fine. You don't want to exalt me? Have all the consequences that come from it. But see, God doesn't do that. He says, no. You know what? It's so important. You need this so much that I'll allow something hard to come into your life so that you'll have to look at me because that is going to show you who I am. That's going to allow the power to flow through you so you really can enjoy living in this kingdom of light. Knowing the gospel is one thing. Exalting the God of the gospel is something totally different. You know, earlier, we listened in on a conversation of some women who were talking about knowing the gospel. One of those women really seemed to be interested in God working in her, and, and she said, I don't want to be like this, and if I know the gospel, shouldn't something be different? But one of the other ladies, when she was talking about it, I mean, she was interested. She was just very perplexed and just kind of in a state of, uh, may want to do something about it, may not, really hadn't made any decisions. She said, I don't know, but I don't know how it can be any different. I don't know. And then there was one other lady. She knew the gospel too, but she was totally content to just exalt herself. She said, when I feel like that, I just go shopping or I have a big bowl of ice cream because <laughs> it makes me feel better. Now, ladies, don't get me wrong. I like to go shopping and I like ice cream. But all in their own place, right? And you know in your life, you know when you're putting that above the Lord. Maybe you look to shopping as a way to deal with a heart that's restless. Or to make you feel affirmed or valued. Maybe you look to ice cream to be a comfort when God is saying, look, I am the God of all comfort. You know when you're eating ice cream and it's a pleasure to the Lord to see you just enjoy something good he's giving you. And you know when you're just shoveling it in because you are so upset. You know, you eat the whole thing. You know, or Hershey bars or whatever it is. I mean, in all the ways that we exalt self. And we wouldn't look at something like that and think, oh, that's exalting ourselves above God. Think it through and let God work that through in you. See, we've all got to decide what kind of woman do we want to be. I want to be the kind of woman who makes it easy for God to work in me. I want to be a woman who has faith in the gospel. I want to be a woman abandoned to his love. I want to be a woman who humbles herself to the great I am and lets him pour out a power in my life that I would have never known had He not had that grace sufficient for me. Ladies, I don't say that lightly. Surrendering to the Lord is not always an easy thing. In fact, it rarely is. But I can tell you, just through some things that I have walked through, that when His power is perfected in our weakness, we see our God in ways that we never would have. We get glimpses of Him that are so sweet, and so filling to the soul, to know who he is, to be able to walk through this life with a confident, confidence, a genuine faith, knowing you're genuinely loved, knowing that you have a power that no one can take away from you. His power can get magnified and perfected in our weakness. If instead of our weakness, in our weakness we exalt self, we exalt him. See, we can't make ourselves genuine. We can't shine his light on our own. No one can do that. But isn't that the message of the gospel anyway? That God created us for genuine life, but we so messed it up. We were too weak to save ourselves. So in his grace, what did he do? He stepped in. He did a work. He's still doing a work in all of us. And each and every day as the stuff of life happens, we go back to the gospel. We look up to the cross. We receive his grace and we exalt the great I am. And we let him shine out through us. You know, what? when you purposefully choose or sometimes even just subtly choose or or just are too lazy to even figure out how to choose, so by default you choose yourself because that's what will happen, when you do that, when you exalt yourself in any of those ways, you're forfeiting the grace and the power that could be yours because you settle for being your own God, for saying, I am. And you cover up this amazing light within you. But when we exalt the great I am, we receive this power to genuinely live and shine his glory.